0: Welcome to the Friday Workplace Briefing. Workplace law changes so quickly. Tune in weekly to find out how the law is changing and what you need to do. Your hosts are Andrew Douglas, Managing Principal, FCW Lawyers, and Karen Liu, Principal Consultant, Sound Consulting.
1: Good morning, Nina. How are you?
0: Good, Andrew. How are you? You're not Karen. I know, different today, we're definitely going to
1: miss her though. We are, she's off doing a Masters, so it's great, I hope she's enjoying that. Nina's filling in for a really good reason, because we're going to do quite a bit around safety today, and that's yep. Nina's bellywig. but you're off for a wedding as well, aren't
0: you? Yeah, I think we're all <laughs> doing weddings. It's a like, good not day, my good own, day for a just, wet wedding, oh, right, Yeah, <laughs> off to Sydney for a friend's wedding, so that will be really nice. Yeah, tomorrow, hopefully we're not flooded.
1: Know, All right, guys, let's kick in. Today we've got three cases that Nina and I have chosen, not because they're groundbreaking cases, but once again, they're, they're illustrative of some issues that people often miss or misunderstand. Yeah. And the first one's a really easy one, which is uh, Bunchy and um, John Ling. This, this case of an HR manager, it's, it's a funny case, isn't it? Yeah. yeah <laughs> where there is sort of serial low-level misconduct. I think the one that you like the most is... The site visit? What happened the yeah,
0: site Yeah, so it was an OHS manager and his idea of a site visit was driving to the site, standing at his car, just having a quick glance and then going shopping.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and he was Not, caught on video doing it. Yeah, exactly. So John Sling were understandably aggrieved by this and they brought him into an interview and then became so aggrieved they just told him they were going to turn back <laughs>
0: Yeah, instant.
1: He brought an unfair dismissal claim, clearly a valid reason for termination but not summary termination, which means, and they did pay him the two weeks' notice, which yep. was his notice period. But what the commissioner said is, yeah, but you got the procedure wrong and therefore gave him a week's compensation, which is nothing except the week's compensation wasn't the cost. No. <laughs> the cost was running the trial.
0: Yeah, the stress, the reputational damage, and all they had to do was one step. Just put it to him.
1: In a show-cause process. and that would have solved it. So i just remind you, remember, it's a victory for the guy because he gets one week notice. So he doesn't win either in this process. But you spent between $25,000 to $40,000 as an employer having a fight over a period of six months, so the level of disruption, and all you had to do was show-cause letter, Yeah. Give him opportunity to respond, and you were fine. Yeah,
0: exactly.
1: So a good story. Next one. Again, really good story. This is Garcia in Launceston City Mission, values-based organisation. I'm going to tell you what I want you to hear first, which is because you're a values-based organisation, it doesn't mean you shouldn't move quick to terminate bad behaviour. And in this case, we had a person who behaved appallingly, requiring police intervention, was terminated at one stage, went to mediation, and then they committed the cardinal sin, didn't they? Oh. They took him back. They took him back. You can never take them back. <laughs> <laughs> and then, despite all his shocking behaviour, he then brought an anti bullying application. Yes,
0: yeah, stop bullying order. Yeah.
1: So the case is a bum case in the sense that it's nothing new. And what they found is Lonset and City Mission did everything. They bent over backwards. They did more than reasonable management. Yeah. So they have no workers' comp claim, no anti bullying, but they have still got him. Yeah. To so this day, he's
0: still there got to get rid of the bad eggs as yeah. you no? So can I
1: just say you know you're a values based organization you do the right thing. Please be aware that doing the right thing is where you have somebody who repeatedly commits misconduct is sever their relationship with the organization quickly.
0: Yeah. It saves you in the long term.
1: I mean look at the level of disruption for an organization that has very little money.
0: Yeah.
1: And that money goes to people in desperate needs so that every dollar buys a big dollar back you're spending it on dealing with someone with misconduct.
0: And I think more importantly, it impacts the culture. You're basically setting up a position where you're letting other employees know that you're accepting this behaviour because you're going to take them back anyway. It's poisoning and un- the culture. But then they're
1: untouchable. Yeah. By bringing the person back, they become untouchable because yeah. how are you going to deal with them again in the future? So look, again, a case that's not too much to do with the law, let's be honest about <laughs> yeah. it, but it's a good story about what you don't do in practice. Now, the next case is a fascinating case for what it was about, but also what the law is that sits behind it, which is Stoddard and what's called The Employee because certain names were suppressed. Tiffany Stoddard was a woman who worked at an organisation and became aware during the life of employment of somebody else that that person had been a convicted pedophile. Her first step was not an unreasonable step. She went to HR and said, look, this bloke is a convicted pedophile. The HR person went to get advice. The advice came back from lawyers saying, we can, nothing can do about it. They've been here, they've not committed any act which is suggestive that they're a pedophile.
0: No inappropriate behaviours at all?
1: None at all. And there isn't any process by which we shouldn't have engaged them. You're not to say anything more about it. You've got to live with it. And made some adjustments around the workplace to manage it. But then she went out and broadcasted. Yeah. And as a result of that, her employment was terminated. So can I be clear about one thing? When she was given that direction not to go out and talk about it, that was a lawful and reasonable direction. Had she not have been given that direction, it would have been a clear breach of her common law duties about acting in the best interest of the business and acting in good faith. Because once again, this person had not committed a wrong in the organisation. Now, I know pedophilia is is something that draws people towards an enormous emotional debate, but the person's not acting as a pedophile. They've been convicted, they've served their time. It doesn't go to the heart or the nature of the work that was being undertaken by this person. She might feel uncomfortable, but it's actually her problem.
0: Yeah, and it's not up to employees to unilaterally decide how to handle things. Like there's a proper way and process, and she clearly ignored that.
1: Yeah, so that's that's the clean facts, okay? (laughs) The more complex issue is, well, what happens with a person who has a conviction, and what do you do as an employer? So... Criminal conviction or criminal record is a protected attribute in only one jurisdiction, and that is under the Australian Human Rights Act. So it's a federal jurisdiction, but it has no individual right of prosecution. So if I've got a, uh, if I've committed a wrong, yeah, Nina goes to sack me because of that. I can't bring an action against Nina or the organisation. Only the Australian Human Rights Commissioner can do that, and they almost never do it.
0: And it also has to be a relevant criminal record. It which happens.
1: means it has to go to the heart of the nature of your job. So yeah. dishonesty with a, a position of financial responsibility, for instance, or sexual misconduct when you're dealing in a position of maybe dealing with young children. Okay? Yeah. So there are those types. There must be a relevance and a connection. The other part is it is by its very nature sensitive information covered by privacy legislation. Yeah. And there is an issue of condemnation, which is if you know about something, or you ought to have known about it, and the person's conduct has been good for a staying period of time, that offence is, by the way, but that's one of, the, one of the factors, then you can't turn around and say it fundamentally breaches the contract of employment because the person's shown it has no effect upon it. Yeah. So that's the law that sits around it, but it doesn't stop it from being adverse action.
0: No. Because okay. although
1: you can't personally bring in a claim, the Fair Work Act says where a particular attribute is protected by another piece of legislation, yep. so criminal record is remember that's not criminal conviction that is a record of criminal conduct
0: yeah that's that's a really important
1: distinction it is because for instance you might not get a conviction
0: yeah
1: but the record will still reveal that the case was proven and it will record what was the disposition of that matter by a magistrate or judge.
0: Yeah. Okay? The only exception is if it's a spent conviction, then it won't be on the record. Yeah, and
1: remember, spent convictions legislation in most states and territories, not all in Australia, which means that after a certain period of time, a particular layer of minor offences wiped from the record and they are entitled not to tell you about it. They have a statutory protection against Mm -hmm. a requirement of disclosure. So, funny case in a way, (laughs) crazy case, But really, the law is quite complex That sits around it, isn't it?
0: Yeah, yeah. Really complex, but it's not quite
1: touching. So can I just say, what is the answer to all of this for you as an employer? You should always ask the question. So in your questions you're asking, employer, is there anything that has happened in your past, which if it became revealed, would have the capacity to damage the reputation of this organisation or imperil your capacity to undertake the job in a reasonable manner? Ask the question.
0: Yeah.
1: Now, you can ask about, look, do you have a criminal record? You can do that but you've got to show the connection, do it, do it, connection to the job. So if Nina had committed an act of dishonesty and she's acting as a, as a lawyer, it is a real problem, Yeah. okay? If she had a position of financial responsibility, it is a real problem. But if Nina had a drink drive, to be perfect, it makes no difference at all and it makes her like every other lawyer who drinks too much. It's, it's pretty Like simple. you. <laughs> <laughs> Last night I don't know. All right, back on to our topic. And we're on time. We're doing well. Part of the reason we're here today, I guess, really is Nina's expertise and it is around safety and she's being humble about that but it is her skill and in the last three to four weeks and we spoke about it last week new regulations being promulgated in Victoria which come into effect sometime in July the government hasn't said when so it's out at a discussion level at the moment which are the positive duties that exist around psychological harm in the workplace and this is something pretty different to anywhere else isn't
0: it yeah, it's probably the first of its kind because we have in New South Wales the code of practice, but there is nowhere else in Australia where there is actual positive duties to identify and eliminate psychological harm.
1: So if I can just if I can grab that as a <laughs> put that into a bite for people in New South Wales, the code creates a position where it is evidence of reasonable practicability, what yeah. it should do, so it falls under a primary duty.
0: Yeah, because it's evidence of industry knowledge.
1: yeah. yeah. Whereas in Victoria, what it's saying is, no, this is a positive duty. Therefore, there are two core elements. This is one, you must have a demonstrable system, which is more than just education. There has to be a genuine system. And second, there is a disclosure obligation that arises for any complaint of the more serious nature of breach, which is bullying, sexual harassment. And And, uh, violence. And and violence. Okay. So there are things you must disclose and that happens annually.
0: Yes, that's right. WorkSafe now will require those annual reports and you have to keep them for five years. And that's
1: all employers?
0: All employers. It's not limited to small businesses at
1: all. Okay, so there you go. and that means that when you give that disclosure, which will be a simple disclosure, WorkSafe have evidence of per se breach yep. unless you are able to demonstrate the system you had underneath. And that's why WorkSafe say education and training is not yep. enough. We need a system that positively Provides <laughs> that, <was the> tricky <laughs> last line, that positively discloses that you are aware of this risk that exists, and you have a process in place, and you've followed it. And yeah, you followed it and reviewed it. That's
0: hmm. the important thing. That's an, another express positive duty that you have to continually review the controls, and if they're not working, you have to make changes.
1: And here's the big part, isn't it? It says employers of more than 50 or more people. Well, thank you for that, Karen. I'll check oh, and I'll come okay. back.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> we'll come back to you on that. We could be wrong and that'll be my fault, Karen. <laughs> that's for annual reporting. Okay, but the issue for me is the big change is not so much that. That's, that's something that creates a level of prosecutorial risk. Mm-hmm. But the big change is it recognises, like in New South Wales, that what causes the most amount of... It's the most amount of people to suffer psychological injury. So, in the big ones, there is massive psychological injury, okay? Yeah. But on the rest of it, it's about the way we ask people to work. It's the lack of thoughtfulness that goes into how we allocate work, how we supervise work, what is the work circumstance around it, what it's, support we
0: give. Yeah, yeah, it's
1: the overall design, isn't it? Yes, exactly. And that requires us, through this positive duty, to have a much more thoughtful process.
0: And I think more than that, also making sure that people have the capabilities to implement that system. So not having that tick box check of training, online training to satisfy what you think are regulatory obligations, but actually making sure that people are competent to deal with this and manage
1: it. And competency is not a hard thing to train. I mean, we're not asking people to sit exams, okay? (laughs) But. When I do training, for instance, I will go through what is the technical training, provide practical examples, then I'll create simple scenarios and ask people to work in groups, then invigilate those groups until I'm satisfied each person understands how it works and get it right. Then I can go away and say, these people are competent in these things. It goes on their HR file. Then they're accountable to it.
0: Yeah. And you must hold them accountable. Yeah. That's really key.
1: All right. The second issue that you were here to talk about today, <laughs> <laughs> and I guess it's perhaps one of the more alarming things, last week we spoke briefly about recent um, surveys that were done about how women were treated online. Yeah. And, and what we're about to talk about is a phenomena that women experience, not men, okay? So this is an evidence-based issue and the evidence shows that women of a non-white Anglo-Saxon Background of the dominant culture that exists in Australia, women who are not of that dominant culture, seventy percent of them will receive remarks that goes towards their ethnicity and derogatory remarks that goes towards. Now that's that's not something that men experience. It's something women experience. This is a power issue. Fifty percent of them will experience comments which are directly related to sexuality, body shape, like
0: status as a mother, status as a mother.
1: It is amazing that this is happening and the the insidious nature is it's there all the time. Yeah. So you might only get that remark, but if I'm rude to you, well, that that rudeness was a once-off. It doesn't sit in cyberspace for everyone else to read.
0: Yeah, and pile on as well.
1: That's right. And we do get that trolling and piling on that happens. But what about workplaces? What's the effect in online attitudes and behaviours toward women? Is there a similar phenomenon? I think the
0: E-Safety Commissioner did a survey and it was actually one in three women experienced some kind of online abuse in a work context.
1: So can we abuse the E-Safety e- Commissioner <laughs> because the E-Safety Commissioner basically told women that uh, they should get a life, have a bit of perspective, uh, don't overreact to it. That was the strategies.
0: Yeah, it was really, really disappointing when we did research into it because They are the body set up to protect women, and a lot of their strategies was like maintain your composure, maintain perspective, all of these strategies which put the onus on the woman to protect herself rather than actually putting useful strategies and looking at the system itself,
1: which is flawed. So we've told you what a problem is that exists. It's a pretty awful problem. Yeah. It's an insidious and evil problem in the sense that it repetitively hurts people, it provides faceless people to attack and you notice this is happening to women about bodies about their gender about their sexuality about their race something which is aimed at women men don't experience this in anywhere near the same level so this is a power-based problem the issue in the workplace is none of this is new and the law does contemplate how to manage it so look i will just talk briefly about the law and then maybe you can talk about what are the solutions because the e Commission certainly didn't (laughs) can i just say And it's just shameful to put that obligation back on women. Yeah. You know, we know as women leave home in the morning, they take risk with them, which men don't. They're aware. They look around. We've created a circumstance where women have to manage risk for themselves because men in the world won't.
0: Yeah.
1: Okay? Now, when someone's involved in discriminatory behaviour towards someone, you reckon they'd get out of the male perspective and jump into the real world, wouldn't they? Yeah. But not our e-commissioner. So... The law is very simple, and that is the liability of a person in the workplace for their behaviour arises where they identify as a person from that workplace, that's one. Two, the nature of their behaviour will affect the workplace in which they're in and the people who are in it. They do something to another person in the workplace, online, outside of work, which stays alive sufficiently Be in the workplace, or they do anything that fundamentally goes to the heart of the nature of their employment Mm -hmm like criticising the workplace, yeah. all those things are inside the workplace as far as disciplinary action goes. Now, last week we also talked about how you carve out risk around liability for workers' compensation. You can see this is around documentation and training. Yeah. Okay? So, Nina, we've looked at a number of out-of-work behaviour policies yeah. that exist and they they are really about liability push rather yeah. than a bad explanation. What the, should we do?
0: The focus is really in a lot of businesses to not link it back to the workplace. But unfortunately, like you said, that's not what the law says. So what policies should be focusing on is identifying in a really clear, easy to understand way what kinds of scenarios would be linked back to the workplace, but also drawing a line in the sand to say what isn't so that employees are aware of what they can and can't make workers' compensation claims for. Along with that, really, really need to do really good competency training so that people are aware what is appropriate behaviours and actually test to see if people are competent, not just, like I said before, having a checkbox system say that, oh, I've done what I need to do. Yeah, please don't, for this Uh, sort of more
1: sophisticated stuff, please don't use online testing, okay, because it's it's a dumb system which doesn't actually test capability and what I'd urge you to do and what we've done is often create a flowchart of the types of behaviours and how it affects and yeah. where liability sits the result resolve it so people can go, you do this, you're not protected in this way, yeah. you have these risks of punishment in these ways. So do that as a, so this is an easy to understand document, but tell people why you're doing it, yeah. which is to protect people. Yeah. And that the organisation, you know, the thing that disappointed me most about the e-commissioner's responses, and there's so much that disappointed me is the failure to rally employers to say your people are your responsibility, step behind them. So if somebody yeah. said something bad to you, I would hope our organisation would get in behind and go, this type of behaviour from this person is unacceptable.
0: Yeah. As an organisation, yeah.
1: we should be there saying these things.
0: Yeah, I understand. And I think that's a really important other part that needs to be changed in the policies is I've yet to see a policy to do with out-of-work conduct which is more a bit to do with the support that you can provide to complainants. So what can they actually do? What support is available to them? How will you address the concerns? It's all about the liability and if we can shift that change I think it'll be, you'll see cultural shifts and less of these kinds of incidents happen. And,
1: and the truth is Nina when we see this stuff come across our desks it's usually a third party who brings it to the attention of the employer, yeah. not the person who's yeah. being harassed, because the person who's been harassed is so injured they yeah, can't.
0: Exactly. By then, the damage, damage is has done. been done. So, yeah. look,
1: I think that's a really fascinating discussion we've had both around what's happening in Victoria in um, psychological health and the new regs, but also this underlying data that's coming out through online abuse, which is historically, before social media, these things happen but they were incidents whereas yeah. now they're alive the incident never stops yeah,
0: it's so undocking. it's pretty
1: awful so have a think about it really happy to have a look at any policies you've got just to comment upon them it's something we do all the time but they yeah. do need to be updated all right well let's jump now to the case study and like always I've, I've crafted the case study and Nina has to read it so <laughs> off we go Nina
0: so Ali was the owner of superannuation union credit and savings He created the business to provide superannuation investments for professional service employees after spending 20 years as an investment banker. Sucks had around $3 billion under investment and was growing rapidly. Ali hired Millie as a CFO in 2021. Millie was a CPA, had an MBA specialising in currency investment and had been the CFO at a large national law firm before resigning in 2020. After a year in the role, Ali's sister in law shared an old online news report of Millie being charged with shoplifting in 2019. The article captured part of her barrister's submission to the magistrates' court, stating Millie had suffered a traumatic assault in 2018 and her relationship with her long term partner broke down in 2019. She was receiving psychiatric support when the isolated incident occurred. Millie stole 15 pieces of underwear,
1: mm.
0: <laughs> none of which fitted her. Really needed to put that in, didn't you? (laughs) Her treating psychiatrist reported that she was acting out impulsively under extreme stress, adding this is not an uncommon cry for help in women of Millie's age who had been the subject of such change and trauma. The article went on to say that the magistrate expressed sorrow for Millie's prior circumstances and the charge should not proceed to conviction or impose any penalty Ali realised that the article, if disclosed to a potential underwriter, could derail the upcoming public float, causing him millions of dollars of loss. During her job interview, Millie was asked whether she had ever been convicted of a criminal offence. She confirmed she had not without volunteering any additional information. Ali also asked Millie at the final interview if there was anything in her past that could cause harm to business, its brand or reputation, and she said there was not.
1: All right. So, look, can I just say to you, I know you made fun of but probably when I when I did criminal criminal work as an advocate, I would have um, appeared for more than 15 women, all in their mid 40s to 50s, all have gone through really traumatic circumstances where they did these uh, this isolated crazy thing, and yeah. commonly actually it was just grabbing handfuls of underwear and sort of running out, waiting to be caught with it. So this is actually drawn a bit from my history as a criminal barrister in it, but also to underline the nature of the conduct was not in itself dishonesty. Okay, yeah. so I put that to you. Now, look, you can log on to Slido now. I'm, I'm sure it's available. We're going to give you one minute and we're going to throw up the questions that you can ask, and at the end of that, we're going to discuss them generally for you. So there are the three questions. Slido is active and ready to go. Jump into it. Okay, so you can see today this is agitating some really complex bits of law, and although it's a, it's a small problem, it's actually quite a difficult problem, and it's one of the problems... We get things like this probably four or five times a year yeah. where there's enormous downside exposure, but what do you do about it? So that's the heart of what this problem is. I've got this issue, but what am I going to do about
0: it? I think it's going to become more common given social media and everything and how easy it is to access information as well.
1: Well, here we are. So the first question is, Millie's annual base income was 400000 Could Ellie's suddenly dismiss it? Now look, 400000 is just to show that's outside the high income
0: threshold.
1: Yeah. Okay. No, 158,0. So there's no unfissile. So he's not under <laughs> 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 last bottle of shampoo last night. So the issue here is could Ali summarily dismiss Millie? Goes to was there a fundamental breach of the contract? So common law, was there a fundamental breach of that contract? Because she is a common law employee. So you go then to common law duties. Was there a lack of fidelity? Did she not answer honestly? There's an argument yeah. she didn't answer to, honestly, but.
0: It's probably not the strongest one.
1: I wouldn't be wanting to sit in front of a court arguing that. Yeah, I wouldn't want that. <laughs> did she act not in the best interest of the business? No, because this occurred beforehand. So it's not an act that she did, and she acted well within the business and was competent. Did she show a lack of good faith? There's an argument that at the time of her interview, and in the time, of, but again, all those common law duties apply to her time of employment, not her pre employment. Yeah. So the answer is the pre employment period save for misrepresentation, is not something that's actual. So the argument has to be that there is a fundamental and deliberate misrepresentation that goes to the heart of the country, and I don't think it would run.
0: Yeah.
1: Okay? I don't think it would run successfully, at least. No. And she does have some defences that sit there. So that comes to the second question, which is, was Millie's brush with the law a protected attribute under anti-discrimination legislation? Answer to that? Yes, because it's part of her criminal record. It is. Now, remember, criminal yeah, federal jurisdiction. The federal jurisdiction is funny because Millie herself under discrimination legislation wouldn't be able to bring a claim under that discrimination. It has to be the Australian Human Rights Commission does it. But the Fair Work Commission is not worried about that because in the Fair Work Act it says if there is a protected workplace right that sits in another piece of legislation, even if it's not prosecutable by the individual, it doesn't say that part, but that's the effect. So she could bring an adverse action claim. And that's with a reverse onus and quite clearly one of the major reasons for termination by Ali would be a protected attribute and therefore she would have a very substantial.
0: Yeah, because it's uncapped jurisdiction as well. And that would also
1: damage the float. Yeah. (laughs) And that would be a bigger damage to him than an awareness of what occurred. So it would be a dumb thing to do. The last question is, did her good conduct as the CFO before the discovery make any termination based on prior conduct unlawful? Can I say this is... The part that's not understood we, because our privacy remember this is sensitive information and our privacy commissioner is a cat that sits and drinks cream never ever prosecutes anything
0: attacking everyone today right <laughs> well,
1: they don't do anything like this year how many prosecutions have we seen from privacy the federal privacy commission <laughs> okay last year how many say there's one or two that came out last year whereas in new zealand they're really hot to trot. Yeah. And so the cases around privacy in New Zealand which have identical privacy protections to us except for some slight differences, pretty identical. All say that where sensitive information arises like this, the person's conduct has been without blemish relating to this protected issue and you've been satisfied with the person's employment, you can't turn around a year or two later and go, "Oh god, that's a big risk." <laughs> Now, it's mitigated by this. If the nature of the risk is one that might only arise in exceptional circumstances, but it's very significant, like the person had murdered someone just before, you know, just got out of jail in relation to a murder, was on parole and that hadn't been disclosed, sexual offender where there was children at risk as a result of it, all those sort of things, major theft.
0: Or things more tied to the role. Yeah, Yeah.
1: then, then there's a risk. But I just want you to understand we've told you what we want you to do. We want you to ask relevantly where criminal conviction ties to the nature of the work. Yeah. And we've asked you to say in any in any process of interview, asking about reputation, brand, and business risk. Okay. And then you've got this capacity to say that the person made a misrepresentation that's fundamental to the contract. And then yeah. it's caught in unfair dismissal land under regulation 107 and at common law by fundamental breach. Yeah. And once you're aware of that that conduct, you're able to accept that breach and terminate. Nina, you've survived with 20 seconds to go, and you now can take a breath. You've done really well.
0: I know. Now I can finally escape to Sydney <laughs> change my flights to produce.
1: <laughs> it was lovely to have you along. We look forward to seeing Thank you next you. week. I'm not sure what's on next week. We meant to organise that, but I was too busy resuscitating Nina <laughs> downstairs over coffee before we started. Lovely to see you all here today, and we'll see Karen back next yeah. week with me. So see you later, guys. Bye bye.